We're going to be in Romans 12 today. You want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit today, we're going to look at goodness. And again, there's not just any one passage in the Bible that talks all about goodness and defines it and says, but I think this is a good passage that we're going to look at today uh, because it sort of bookends uh, goodness with the things that goodness produces and looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, but I wonder how many of y'all have ever watched the TV show The Office? Anybody ever? A few? Um, during the final season, there's a character played by actor Ed Helms. His name was Andy. He's kind of a crazy character. Uh, but he has one of the most profound lines in the entire series. Uh, he says at one point, right toward the end of the show, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. It's a good thought. Uh, it's a sentiment I think we can all sort of grasp in some way or other. Uh, but when we say that, when we say the good old days, what do we mean? Well, it's often used to refer to sort of a nostalgic view of the past, a, uh, a time when life was simpler and we were happier, or more carefree. Uh, we didn't have sort of the weight of life and the things that have happened on us. Uh, we were maybe more healthy, uh, maybe we were better off financially than we are now. Uh, everyone, when everyone we knew and loved was still alive, we were just talking about that and thankful that they're still alive. And, um, maybe, and this, this I think works for, for a lot of people in, in sort of the generation of folks that we have, uh, sort of the post-World War II era, that, that, that sweet spot right there as they called it. Uh, where we had some economic prosperity, uh, the, the middle class was rising and growing, we had a sense of cultural, cultural stability, uh, and they had what was called traditional family values. Uh, where the, you know, dad and mom and two kids and a dog and all the things. Uh, the dad worked, the mom was a homemaker, um, the two kids were a boy and a girl, you see all the little ads and stuff. It was always the same thing. Uh, and they had, had a dog. It was always a big dog, it wasn't a small dog. I don't know what that is. Um, and then a nice house in the suburbs and a white picket fence. And uh, it's sort of a, it's a wonderful life, if you've ever watched that movie. It's just sort of that thing in, in, in real life. And it, the thing is, though, maybe it's just all relative. Uh, Everybody has an idea in mind when they say that, and generally it follows these sorts of patterns, even if it's something simple. Uh, there's a, a band that I listen to called 21 Pilots, and they sing a song called Stressed Out, and in the chorus they sing, wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. And it's this longing for the, that simple, sort of peaceful, we don't have all the cares of everything. Mama was singing us to sleep. Is it that whole thing? Um, and I think as we dig into the text this morning, we're going to find that, that that goodness, that the good old days, all that idea, as we look, they look a bit different through the lens of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to tackle this morning. So we're going to read Romans 9, beginning, I mean, sorry, Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. If you want to follow along with me there. 
Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And God bless the reading of his word. Okay, so I want to point out as we get going that that good, that word good, goodness, bookends this whole little bit, right? It says, abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. And then at the end, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so what I think is going on then is that rhetorically, the way Paul writes this thing, he's bookending this thing and saying basically everything in between here is what that looks like. This is goodness. This is how it plays out. And so that's what we're going to sort of tackle. Uh, if we really want to experience good days, then this is what it'll take, right? And so in verse 9, Paul began by saying, let love be genuine. And we know that love was that first thing that we talked about. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about love and how love is sort of the capstone that everything else is set on and leans through. And, and he says, let love be genuine. And so he's tying love directly to goodness here, right? And, and that goodness then is, is somehow a result of love. They're all connected. As the Holy Spirit pours love into us, goodness should be pouring out of us. And Paul listed actions, not just thoughts, right? Love is, is known not by just words, but by actions, by what we do. In other words, our hearts are known by what we do. The Greek word Paul used there when he said let, let love be genuine is anapokritos. And it means unfeigned or without hypocrisy, sincere. Uh, the word hypocrisy, we know that the, the hypocrite actually meant the stage actor in, the, in that day and time. They were, they were the hypocrites. And so that just meant they were putting on an act. They were being something they, they weren't really in real life. And that's how we've drawn the word forward. When we say hypocrite, we mean someone who's being a faker, someone who's not doing you know, what they should or what they really are. And so, but this is saying anapokritos, in other words, unhypocritical. Not like a stage actor, right? It's the, the reverse of that. 
This, in other words, Paul's saying, let love not be just a show. Don't let it be something that you just do out in public. Let it be who we really are. In Galatians 5, the word uh, is uh, agathusunin, and it means the act of doing. The goodness is the act of doing the good thing, right? Here the word is agathos. So it's a shorter version. That's all, you know, Greek language declensions and all that kind of stuff. But basically, it means the same thing. Inherent goodness. A goodness from within. And in Romans 3.12, we know this. We know that Paul said, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And so inherent does mean within us, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're all on our own doing this, right? Because if no one does good, not even one, we need some help. He says, hold fast to what is good. The Holy Spirit is the thing that he's talking about here, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the thing that is within us producing this goodness, and there's an interesting word that Paul uses, and, and I don't know that it's used really anywhere else in Scripture. I looked. I didn't, I didn't find it. Uh, but to talk about holding fast to what is good, he used the word kalao. That's the word for glue. That's all it means, just glue. And so what Paul is saying is, be glued to the Holy Spirit. Be glued to goodness. That, it should be like this. All the time, right? And so when the questions arise, do we abhor evil? Do we cling to good? Do we glue to good? I mean, do, do we really abhor evil or are we kind of fascinated by it? Maybe interested in our little bit of darkness, the part that we like to hold on to. You know? Like, God, you can clean me up, you can make me more like Jesus except for this part. I kind of still like holding on to that grudge. I kind of still like feeling, you know, mad when I see that person that did me wrong. That kind of stuff. I mean, is that what we're doing? Or, or are we actually glued to the Holy Spirit and glued to goodness? Because if we are, it's going to change us, right? It's going to produce forgiveness for us and then through us. We always talk about that. And so what does that look like? Are we, are we attached to the things that make life better? And Paul goes on, he kind of lists some things, brotherly affection, uh, showing honor. He said, outdo each other in showing honor. I, I don't know if that's something that we're very good at. Um, be zealous. That just means enthusiastic. Like be, be, you know, sort of passionate about what we're doing together. Fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Contribute to the needs of saints. And then Paul wrote that being glued to goodness meant showing hospitality. And that word is philonixia. Love of or to strangers. Or warmth to strangers. And it comes from two words, philos, which means friend, and then xenos, which means stranger. In other words, you're making friends out of strangers. That's the idea. 
got all that, we're, we're all together still, making friends out of strangers. In the Old Testament, they had a, it was a cultural thing. If, if uh, someone came to town, they came to, they'd either go to like the main gate or the town center, and, and then they, uh, it was required that somebody in town take them in and give them a place to stay. And because most of the little towns, they didn't have hotels. And it's not like now where you go over to Alpine and they've got an inn and, or a Holiday Inn and, and other things, Maverick, and, or, or you go to the next town of Marfa and it's got things. Little towns back then, they didn't have inns. It, it took sort of a larger sized town for that to be a thing. And so the stranger would come to town and it would be the required of the people culturally to take them in, to provide a place for them to stay, uh, give them food, feed them, give them a place to sleep, a shelter, uh, and, and to generally take care of their needs, meet their needs. It's, it's sort of the, the story that we see in the story of the Good Samaritan when he takes him. It says to the, this inn and this innkeeper is probably just a person with a house, most likely. But Jesus echoes this idea. He said this in Matthew 25, 35, when he said, among other things, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And it doesn't just mean he walked through the church doors and we shook his hand. He's talking about, I showed up and you took me into your life, made me part of what you were doing, welcomed me, brought me in. And I wonder sometimes, I know that when people come through these doors, I've seen it before, we're a, we're a welcoming group. We like to shake hands and, and give hugs and, and people feel welcome and then we invite them to lunch and, and, and we do really good at that. But this is talking about that and what goes beyond that. So the idea is that after lunch, are we, are we connected? Are we still invested in each other's lives with people that we're welcoming and bringing in? It's that kind of idea. Are we showing warmth to folks? And hopefully we are, right? But I, I tell you the truth, in our day, I feel like we've been frightened out of true hospitality. That's various dangers have arisen and, and they, you know, folks take advantage of hospitality and prey on those who offer it. We all know stories, you know. I remember a story one time, a guy named Ben, when we lived in Richardson, was telling me about um, somebody, some lady, was stopped, her car was stopped on the side of the highway, and somebody went to help her, somebody he knew, and it was a setup, and some guy came in and robbed him while he was helping change the tire or whatever. Taking advantage of the hospitality, basically, of someone's goodness to stop and help. And so I feel like things like that and tons of other things have sort of frightened us out of hospitality to where we're now we're like, we're not going to take chances, right? But I think we can still be hospitable. I think we can still practice this in some ways. We, we need to be smart. I'm not saying we should just be out there doing everything, trusting everybody. I mean, you know, we have to be smart. But I think we can discover and meet needs of people who live here, for sure. We can show hospitality to our town, to be active in our town and interact with people outside of just our congregation and, and make our willingness to help clear to our community. How can we be a part of this? And we have it a few ways. We help with, you know, like the, the 
between the M2M, the race, the marathon, we do we help with that, we serve, and we do different things. We've done some other things, but but this is how invested are we in the lives of our townsfolk? We should be very invested. Not for the sake of, of knowing things to gossip about to our friends, but like to meet needs, to be able to help folks, right? People need to know that they can trust us. That, that we have their best interests in mind. That we want to help. That we want good things for everyone who lives here. Everyone. And not just if they show up on Sunday. Right? And this is important because it sets the stage for them to experience the love of God in a real and genuine and tangible way through us. And they, then they can sing with the psalmist. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What is the Lord? Good. The Lord is good. I think we need to be reminded of that ourselves sometimes. I, I know that I do, for real. I let my focus get distracted by sort of all the evil in the world, and it seems overwhelming like, Evil is winning. How could we possibly overcome this? Or, or even the evil in my heart, that little bit that I keep tucked away. But if we hate evil, like Paul said, if we abhor evil, then when we encounter it, we will have a reaction to it, right? A Holy Spirit reaction. And Paul connected the dots for us here. He said, rejecting evil and being glued to what is good looks like this. Bless those who persecute you. Refuse to curse them. Bless and do not curse. Right? And the word he uses there, eulogeo, uh, it means to bless, but, but it literally means to speak well of. I mean, imagine that. If you're being persecuted by someone, someone's making your life difficult some way or another, Speak well of them. Is that what we do? Probably not. Right? Not all the time, at least. But that's what he's saying. Bless them. Say good things about them. Why? Maybe it'll turn them. That's the thing. We don't know. According to Paul, the way the Spirit works and the way being glued to goodness works is that we lean in and trust in the things of the Spirit and let the Spirit handle the rest. It's not up to us. And so we speak well of folks who would make our lives difficult and be mean to us. But Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5, 44. And then Peter echoed this idea in 1 Peter 3, 9, adding that this is the way of life that we are called to. And so if we're walking in the way of Jesus, that's what this is about. Now on top of that, being glued to good also looks like this, rejoicing with those who rejoice. I think that one's easy, right? We're pretty good about that. People are happy. We're usually happy with them. Weeping with those who weep, sort of. We're good at first, right? When people are mourning, we'll take them food, we'll hug them at first. Then long term, I don't know. Maybe not so great. Maybe we need to work on that. 
Then he said, living in harmony with each other. And that really stuck out to me. I think, I think maybe living in harmony might be one of the ones we have the most trouble with, right? Uh, the, the, the sentence there in Greek, if I can read it right, is, to auto eis alelus thronuntes. I hope I got that right. But it means the same thing toward one another minding, which is a weird statement, right? Uh, but that's how Greek is. Um, basically, it means have the same mind toward each other. Be on the same page. Um, and, and so which mind did he mean? What, he's, he's kind of vague about that point. What's he talking about? What, what mind? Well, I think he answers that actually in the letter to the Philippians. And I've used this so many times. This should be one of those passages that we just all sort of have rolling around in our heads all the time. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves. This is the mind Paul's talking about. It's yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Which mind? That mind. That's the mind. Wednesday, while we were discussing the passage, uh, we actually talked about all this, uh, like being a song. When, when you hear a song, not all the instruments are playing the same notes, right? Or even in the exact same rhythm. Sometimes the, the drums are playing, you know, the sort of regular rhythm and the guitar's doing something else, and, you know, the, or the flutes and the, you know, Saxophones or whatever, they're all doing different things. That's how music works. That's what part of what makes it beautiful is that we're all doing or if, if you're talking about singers, not all singers may be singing the same notes. You know, if you do, that's called the melody, but but sometimes all the singers are singing different parts. That's harmony, right? But sometimes they're not even singing the same words. There's songs where there's different parts going on at different times, but it's beautiful when it comes together. It's all part of the same song. See, this is the kind of idea Paul's referring to. Not that we would all be in lockstep agreement about everything, everybody singing the same exact notes. That's called melody. Paul didn't say live in melody with one another. He said harmony. We each have our part to play, and it's okay if they're different. Just so long as we are playing and singing the same song. Paul continued by listing some of the ways that we get out of sync with the song of the gospel, right? Because that's the song we're singing. And he, he, he lists them, being haughty, thinking more of yourself than you should. That's one of the ways that we get out of sync with it. I've done that plenty of times. Being wise in our own sight, also guilty, right? Yeah, I think I've got this figured out. Have you ever said that to yourself? I, I got this. It'll be all right. Repaying evil for evil. Someone does something to you and so you feel justified in doing something back to them. Feeding into conflict or avenging ourselves. Going after people, right? This is generated by things that we think, like they, they can't just get away with that. Can't do that to me, right? That's, that's the kind of thing. It's unfair we think those things. 
And when we think they can't just get away with it, the, the truth is they're not. God is watching. God will take care of it. Right? I don't know if we always believe that. I think that's the problem. We don't, we don't trust that God's going to do anything. Or we say it's unfair, and it is. But so is God's mercy and grace. Those aren't fair either. If we were talking about fair, we'd be in trouble. I remember one time I was sitting with a Bible study group at, at a Whataburger. It was back in Richardson. UT Dallas kids and me were sitting around the table and we were talking about you know God things and eating our burgers and fries. And I, we brought a, a, another student had come in to get food and overheard us and asked if they could sit down. This happened a lot. And they came and sit down. And I, I'm pretty sure he was uh, a Buddhist from India. And he was, he was talking and we were talking with him. And at one point as we were talking about the things of God, he said, I just hope that when I die, God gives me what I deserve. And we all kind of went, <laughs> they're like, oh my. Because if that's the case, we're going to be in trouble. I don't hope that I get what I deserve. I, I hope I don't get what I, I hope I get mercy and grace. That's what I'm leaning on, right? Ultimately, it's all up to God. We have to trust in God for not only mercy and grace, but for justice. That's, to, that's for God. It's not for us. And to say otherwise is failing to trust in the Lord. Doing something about it yourself, getting back at someone, holding on to a grudge, you're just hurting you. And you're not trusting God. And I've done it, and I've had issues with it, and I've got great stories to tell on the other side of some of them. And there's some that I'm still working on. Alright? And there's this part. This is important too. It's not that God acts as if there was no problem. God's not ignoring our pain. That's not what's happening. It's that God is handling it on a different timetable than we would. Right? Our timetable is now, usually now, or quickly. And God's timetable is just a lot bigger than that. We have to give control and power to God to do things God's way, uh, things God's way, and not do things our own way. That's, that's the key. We have to trust God. We have to let it be His. And so in other words, goodness we're talking about goodness and being glued to goodness of the Holy Spirit. Part of that is trusting God to handle all the things. All the evil, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the justice. Because we're selfish and we're impatient and we think we know better and we want it all fixed our way right now and that's part of the problem that's what keeps things in conflict what did Paul say how should we treat our enemies those who persecute us those who hurt us those who violate us in one way or another if they're hungry feed them if they're thirsty give them a drink 
and then heap coals on their head. <laughs> it kind of seems off, doesn't it? Right? He's actually quoting from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. And I was really curious about this this week because all through the passage, Paul is basically saying, leave it to the Lord. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't try to get back at anybody. Heap coals on their head. And it just sounds like, what? Wait, now that sounds terrible, right? Because, um, like, and I grew up thinking, like, in, when these sorts of passages were taught, it meant fiery judgment, or it meant them getting what they deserved, or, or maybe some pain and sorrow for them, too, in the long run. I'm, I'm, I'm being nice, but I'm just throwing coals on them. They're going to they're gonna burn. Like, that was kind of the mindset I was raised in. That's not what this is at all. Um, I did some studying uh, to find out because I, I had a, I had a hunch that that wasn't what it is because that's that doesn't sound like genuine love to me at all. Genuine love doesn't go. How can I hurt this person who's hurt me, even in a nice Christian way? Coals on their head, like that just doesn't make sense. Um, and so there's a couple of things to think about here. First of all, is the connection to Isaiah six. If you remember Isaiah six. It's where uh, King Uzziah has died. Isaiah has gone to mourn in the temple, and he's confronted by sort of the foot of God and the robe, the bottom of the robe of God in the temple. And, and Isaiah is like, oh my gosh, I am not able to handle this. I'm, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean. In other words, all the things I say are, you know, terrible. I, I just don't deserve to be in this moment. And how does... God handle that. Sends an angel with tongs and a coal from heaven to touch Isaiah's lips and purify them. In other words, the hot coals, the burning coals, are for purification. When you do the things that Paul is talking about, if, you're, if they're hungry and you feed them, if they're thirsty and you give them a drink, you're offering them chances to be purified of whatever it is that caused them to hurt you. You're offering them restoration. That's what that is. Now, here's another thing to keep in mind about this. Fire was vitally important in the ancient world. If you didn't have fire, you might not have life, right? Uh, it was good for cooking food, but also for warmth, kept them warm. So they kind of, in, in each home, they would have, uh, or even in tents, around, outside the tent, they would always have fire, right? And they would always have a fire. You had to have a fire going kind of all the time. If you didn't have a fire and a way to start a fire, you were in trouble. And if your fire went out and you didn't have a way to restart it, you would have to go to a neighbor. And what they would do is they would go to the neighbor and they would get live coals from their neighbor. And then they would carry them in a bowl where? On their head. Because in that part of the world, that's how they carried things. So they'd have a metal bowl, put the coals on them. I assume they'd have something in between. Put it on their heads. And they'd carry it back. And so the idea then is that they would carry this metal bowl and it would help rekindle their fire. It's, it's about helping those who hurt us. It's about giving them a chance to have their fire rekindled, to maybe reconnect with God when their menace is met with love 
It sets their actions in stark contrast, and it may just be the thing that opens their eyes and brings repentance. Now think about this. In Romans 5.8, Paul wrote that God showed us love in that while we were piling up sins, that's my own translation, when it says while we were yet sinners, but while we were piling up sins, Christ died for us. God's way of showing love is to sacrifice himself for us. While we were consistently offering God nothing but evil, the Father offered us Jesus. And through Jesus, then a way to reconcile. And what that means is that ultimately love is a sacrifice. Right? Being glued to goodness means offering good for bad. None of us can manage this on our own. I'm convinced of that. We'll, we'll mess it up somehow. I'm not, I mean, I know I will, but I'm pretty sure y'all will too. So don't take that personal. I just think that's part of what the problem is. That's why we need the Holy Spirit and the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness that the Spirit brings. We can't offer what we don't have. But by the power of the Spirit, we can do what seems impossible otherwise. Not just forgive, but do good to those who hurt us, to speak well of them. And when we trust the Lord in this way, when we strive to be like Jesus, it won't matter so much if the days are bad, because we will be overcoming evil with good, just as Paul said. Or then maybe to take it as uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu once said, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. We pray with you.